0: Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3 through verse 14 this morning. We are continuing our study on Sunday mornings in the letter of 1 John, again written by the Apostle John. As Nicole pointed out, one who was in very close connection to Jesus, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest, the one that Jesus entrusted his own mother to from the cross, the one who had a very intimate relationship and fellowship with Jesus. And that's what he wants to talk to us about in this letter. He's saying to us in First John, there's a difference between having a relationship with God and having fellowship with God. That as we talked about last week fellowship with god is about intimacy it's about connection it's about communion it's about sharing life together it's about partnership there are many christians that have a relationship with god but do not have fellowship with god or very little fellowship with god compared to obviously the fellowship that we could have with god and so throughout this letter Like last week, John said, we're missing out on the joy that God came to give to us when we don't have fellowship, because fellowship with God leads to joy, true joy in our life, inexpressible, ecstatic joy. And it's only through fellowship with God and fellowship with one another that we can experience that joy. Now today, John's going to continue talking to us about fellowship and about knowing God in an experiential way. Not just about knowing about him, but truly knowing him, as even Nicole talked about through our worship today. See, many, many Christians know about God. They know about God second and third hand. They know about God, you know, from what they hear, from what others say about God. They, they know about God from what their parents have said to them or what their children have said to them. They know about God based upon what a, another Christian experiences with God. They know about God because of what they have heard their pastor say or a worship leader say or something else, but they really have never got to a place in their life where they are experiencing themselves that personal fellowship, that intimate communion that God wants us to have with him. And that's why John writes in 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we have come to know God. Those words, know, used twice there in 1 John 2, 3, is a Greek word that speaks about, again, experiential knowledge, not knowledge about God. There are many Christians that that can tell us about God, you know. God is saying, but do you really know me? Do you know me in such a personal way that you know my heart? Do you know what I'm really about and what I really want to do in your life? And let me ask you this question because I think it will help us understand how little this takes place on a spiritual level. If I was to ask you today, how many human beings really know you? I mean, they really know you. They may know about you. They may know the things that you like and you don't like, but, but I mean, do they really know you? And here's why I'm asking that question, because I think a lot of times we don't really know how to get there, which is why, can I tell you, things like our worship here and the way we do the Word here is not going to be for everybody because everybody today has a real struggle getting past the superficial and, and the surfacey stuff and really understanding what fellowship really is. You know, what intimacy with with one another is. And if we can't get there on our level, then it's going to be a real struggle for us to get there with God. And then when we do get there with God, it's uncomfortable for us. It's something that, that we're unfamiliar with because we don't allow anybody in. We don't get in let that close with anybody else. And we don't even feel comfortable getting there with God, even though we know up here, he knows everything about us. There's nothing about us that God doesn't know. We're laid bare before God, but somehow we don't want to invite God in. And it maybe even goes back to last week about because then he begins to light up our life and we don't even like to deal and confront and and take responsibility for the things that he lights up. But God says, if you let me light it up, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of those things and, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and let's move past that and beyond that so that you and I can really get close. So John says in this passage of Scripture that there are some undeniable evidences, some realities that are going to be true in the life of a Christian when we are experientially knowing God. Not when we are in relationship with God, but when we are in fellowship with God. When we are close and we are connecting. When we are, as we would maybe say, skin on skin with God, because that's what the word know means. It's a word that means... Intimate knowledge. So John says, first of all, what is the first evidence or reality in my life of knowing God experientially, of fellowshipping with God, of being close to God? John says, obedience, obeying his commands. Notice what he says again in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his command. Commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God and yet does not keep his commandments, John says, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. Verse 4. But then he says in verse 5, But whoever obeys the word of the Lord, in him the love of God has been perfected, and by this we know we are in him. The one who says... He resides in God, ought himself to walk, verse 6, just as Jesus walked. Notice in these verses that John uses a couple different ways of describing an obedient life. He says, first of all, in verse 4, keeping his commands. Then in verse uh, or 3, he talks about, in 4, keeping his commands. In verse 5, obeying his commands word and then finally in verse 6 walking as Jesus walked now I want to say something about that how can you and I even begin to obey his commands or keep his commands obey his word and walk as Jesus walked if we don't know him if, if we're not trying to know him more trying to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life and immerse ourselves and saturate ourselves in the Word of God. How can I obey something I don't know? So so you even have to go back a step further before we can grow in our life in obedience. And that's really what John is saying. He's saying we're not going to be perfect, but he's saying when you and I enter into a fellowship with God and now we're not living just in relationship with God but we're living in daily connection with God we're living in fellowship with God we're communing with him every day there will be this growing obedience in our life that more and more our life will be characterized by obedience rather than disobedience because John says a person can say I've come to know God me and God are close. And John says, if, if you claim to be close to God and yet your life is not primarily characterized by obedience, John just calls us out. He said, you're lying. You, you can say and claim all you want to. He said, but you are a living contradiction as a Christian because you're in relationship with God And you could be living a life of obedience, but because you are not living in fellowship with God, your life is characterized more by being disobedient to the Lord rather than obedient. And that even starts with, do I even have a desire to know what his commands are? Do I even have a desire to know what his word is? Do I even have this burning desire to walk as Jesus walked? And apart from listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit every day and following him and getting into the word of God, It's impossible for us to do that. That's where it's got to start. And then I love what John says. He says in verse 5, for the one who is obeying the word of the Lord, the love of God has been perfected in that person. And that brings about a reassurance, a confirmation in our own life because he says by this we know that we're in him. In other words, the more we obey, one of the cool sort of results of that is we become more assured and more confirmed and more authenticated even in our walk with God. It's like, yep, yep, God, not, we, we are on the same page. We're, we're walking down the road uh, together. We're in this together. I'm following the Lord. And then it produces such A confidence because of the confirmation. But I want to go back to this love of God being perfected in us. John's making a huge statement here. He's saying, Do you realize that every step that we take of obedience to God as we want to draw closer to Him and fellowship with Him makes God's love for us and our love for Him more and more real? Now, many people approach this verse as a either or. Either John is talking about the love that God has for us being perfected in us or our love for God being perfected by our obedience. I don't see it as an either or. I see it as a both and. I think it's doing both at the same time. In other words, as you and I obey God every day, we realize as we obey him, He truly loves us, and that's why he asks us to do the things that he does, commands us to do the things that he does, and why he asks or commands us to avoid things. It's it's not because he's a killjoy. It's actually because he wants us to experience the ultimate joy so that every step I take of obedience, I am learning more and more about how much God loves me and that it's out of his love he commands me to do or not to do the things in my life. It's because he really does have my best interest at heart. He really does love me like no one else loves me and that every command Every part of his word, every principle, every precept, everything that God has said in his word is for my own good and it's out of his love for me, you see. But then also, as you and I obey the Lord, that also enables us to start to show the Lord our obedience out of love. Another word. I'm not not doing what God's commanding me to do out of duty and obligation. (laughs) An unwillingness, a grudging, but I'm going to do it. No, no. It's as I obey and as I live a life of obedience, I actually get to a place as a Christian where even if I don't understand what God's asking me to do, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I do it out of my love for him and I do it willingly. I don't do it grudgingly. I'm not doing it because I feel it's my duty and obligation. I'm doing it not because I feel I have to, but because I want to. You see, that's God's love being perfected in us. And John says that only comes about when we're obedient to the Lord when we are living a life that is characterized by keeping his commands, obeying his word, and walking as Jesus walked. And the only way that you and I can do that is when we are knowing him experientially, when we are fellowshipping with him, when we are intimately connected with God every day, because otherwise we won't be obedient. Or... Our obedience is not going to be born out of love. We might even get to a place as a Christian where we begin to resent God. Because we'll be obedient, but we're only doing it again out of a sense of duty or obligation or feeling like I have to. I never get to a place as a Christian where I'm living the way God wants me to because I want to, because I can understand now how much he loves me and that there's nothing he's asking of me to do, there's nothing he's asking me to avoid that is not for my best interest and for my own good. So, the first thing John says is this. This is how you and I know that we're knowing God experientially, that we're fellowshipping with God, that we're living in fellowship with God. First evidence, first reality, a growing obedience. But he doesn't stop there. Then in verses 7 through 11, he says, there will also be a growing love in my life. And oh, by the way, John's going to get real specific. He's saying here, This isn't love for God, and this isn't even a love for the world. This is a growing love for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Ouch. Let's follow what John says. First of all, he says in verse 7, Dear friends, literally beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment to you that you've already had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you've heard from the beginning. Then in verse 8, he says, On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. Let me stop there. John's not being a little crazy here. What John is simply reminding us of is, yes, God gave us the command to love one another all the way back at the very beginning. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. That was always God's standard. From the time God revealed his standards to men, God said, love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus comes along. And when Jesus set foot on the earth and he began his ministry and he began to teach his followers He then said this. He raised that standard, I think, up to an even greater level when he said, and he looked at his followers and said, now a new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, there it is. That's, in a sense, taking the old commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself and really raising it up to this standard, that we are then... Commanded to love one another as Jesus loves us. So then John goes on to say, On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, if you're a Christian, because, he says, the darkness is already passing away and the true light is already shining in your life. Now, again, That's encouraging because he's saying, look, it's all about progress. It's not about perfection. But it is about making sure that the darkness that is within us becomes less and less and less as we fellowship with God throughout our Christian life and that God's light becomes more and more and more and more. But then John goes on to say this in verse 9. He says, The one who says he is in the light and still hates his fellow Christian is still in the darkness. The one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light, literally is settled in the light of God, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The one who hates his fellow Christian is still in darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't even know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eye. Let's talk about this. So in the first place, John says, fellowship or intimate connection with God, knowing God experientially, will lead to a growing obedience. Second, it will lead to a growing love for others, especially love for my fellow Christians. Now notice in this passage, the relationship, if you will, between love and light. John says, one cannot claim to be in the light if one is not living a life of love. Love and light go together from God's perspective. So John is saying, when you and I live in the light of God, we will be living a life of love towards others. If I'm not living a life of love towards others, then I can claim anything I want to, as this person did in verse 9. John says, no, you're still in the dark. And, and what John is pointing out is something pretty sobering here for us as Christians, right? That you and I can be in a relationship with God. We can be a Christian. We can have had our sins forgiven and yet still be walking in darkness. Think about that. Whoa. To think that the light of the world has come into our life and yet we choose to walk in darkness because we choose not to love as God loves us. And the only way you and I are going to be able to love others the way God loves us is by walking in the light and staying in fellowship with God because you and I cannot love others that way without God's enablement, without God helping us. You and I can't love that way on our own. We need God. So that's the only way, you know, you and I can love like that is when we stay close to God. Otherwise, we're going to start making it about us. It's going to be about us. Something else he says here that's very interesting. He says, now, for the one who loves their fellow Christian, he says, they're settled in the light. They abide in the light. They remain in the, And there's no cause for stumbling in him. Meaning this, that because you and I are living a life of love, that means we're living in the light, which means we have a real clarity about our life, and we can see where we're stepping and where we're going, and we don't fall down all the time because of that, but it also means that we don't become a stumbling block to others, sort of as Jesus said, the blind leading the blind, where we're not living in the light, where we're not loving, where we're then, as John says, living in the darkness. And and because the, the, the darkness is blinding our eyes, we cannot spiritually see. So not only then are we stumbling and bumbling through life and crashing into things and falling, but then those behind us or those around us end up stumbling over us too, because what John here is saying is so important. He's saying that when you and I live in an experiential knowledge of God, we then can become an exemplary example rather than a living contradiction. I know I said a lot there, but let me go back to that. It's so important that we get this. John is saying when you and I live in an experiential way with God, where we're engaging with God, we're in fellowship with Him, that our knowledge is experiential. It's not just knowing about God, it's knowing Him. When our heart is pressed up against His heart, if you will, and even as we sung about, we feel His breath, we hear His heartbeat. When we live that way, we then have the ability to become an exemplary example rather than a living contradiction rather than saying one thing but living another. Because John, three times in this passage as he did last week, in verse 4, in verse 6, and I believe in verse 9, starts out, the one who says, the one who says, the one who says. And again, you and I can talk the talk, but John says, what's the reality of our life? The reality is this, John says. We can fake it. We can be pretenders. We can even fool other people. But the reality from God's perspective is this. When you and I live in fellowship with God, when we grow in in experiencing God in in that kind of a way, there will be a growing obedience and there will be a growing love for other Christians. By the way, some of you are going to read down through these verses and go, well, this doesn't describe me because I don't hate my fellow Christian. And it's saying... Hating your fellow... I don't hate my fellow Christian. Let's go back to something in James. It's a little convicting for all of us, right? (laughs) James talks about how sometimes the the real barometer, if you will, of, of, of where we are spiritually is our tongue. So let me ask you this past week, and I'm asking myself this question as well. Was there a time this past week where we were critical of another Christian, where we tore down another Christian? where we uh, slandered another Christian, whether we gossiped about another Christian or not. You see, because from God's perspective, the absence of love is hate, just like the absence of light is darkness. So if I'm not loving from God's perspective, I'm not manifesting love, then that means I'm manifesting hate. Because here's another thing that you and I have to come to grips with. Hatred can be expressed passively just as much as it can be in an aggressive way. And I'm not talking about passive aggressive. That's actually aggressive. I'm talking about real passive hatred. You say, what's passive hatred look like? Let me give you five examples. I think I can remember all of these. Indifference towards one another. Coldness. Isolation exclusion, unconcern, all of those really express hatred in a passive way. I don't care. I'm indifferent. I have no feeling. If I hear something about another Christian, if I hear about what they're going through, my heart doesn't go out to them. There's a coldness there. I isolate myself from other Christians. I'm indifferent. I I could care less whether I get around other Christians or not. I could care less whether I have any friendships or relationships with other Christians. And can I tell you, all that John is talking about here, if we truly understood it, would raise a level of what we and other churches do all the time here, what we seek to do. That it would make church much more of a priority with Christians. Because how many Christians today really are expressing a lack of love towards their brothers and sisters simply because in their minds, church isn't for me. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You see, what we do here should never be about us. It should be about each other. That's what it should be about. But that's the problem today is in America and all around the world, church has become about us. So if church isn't doing this for me and isn't doing that for me, I just don't show up and I don't engage with anybody and I don't serve and I don't minister and I don't use my gifts and I don't seek to encourage and I don't seek to support. And John is simply saying, don't you understand that you and I cannot live in close fellowship with God and not desire to either care or be concerned about what's going on in our brothers and sisters in Christ's lives? We should be. And John is simply throwing that reality out to us and saying all of us, we got we to gotta do some soul searching here because John says, you can't be close to God and not have any desire to have any connection with your fellow Christians. John says, sorry, calling you out on that one. That... that They can't coexist. Because if we're coming together to God, we're also then coming together and wanting to be together with one another. And again, as I said last week, that doesn't mean you and I are going to have these intimate, you know, fellowship with every last Christian that we know, but it does mean we at least should not be indifferent, cold, isolating ourselves from each other, excluding others, and unconcerned about each other. That should be different in our lives. And then finally, in verses 12 through 14, John says, if you and I are living in fellowship with God, there should not only be a growing obedience and a growing love for others, especially other Christians, but there will be a growing awareness in our life of three things. A growing awareness of three things. John here in these verses addresses little children, young people, and fathers. And I think that John here is simply addressing us as we move through our Christian life in different stages. Now there's differences of opinion on that, but that's where I have landed with these verses. I think John is simply saying that when we come to Christ we come as little children, and there's certain things we know at that stage. But then hopefully as we grow in our fellowship with God, we move into young adulthood and, and say middle-aged. And then as we continue to walk with God throughout our life, we, we get to sort of the elder stage, if you will, of walking with God. And in each of those stages, there's going to be certain realities that we are growing aware of. And the first thing John says to little children is, you become aware real early on that your sins are forgiven and that you've got a heavenly father. Notice in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven. Oh, by the way, not because of us, but because of his name. His forgiveness for us isn't because we're so great and we deserve it. It's all by his grace that we are forgiven and our sin slate is wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 14, he readdresses those little children and says, I have written you, little children, that you have known the Father. John is simply saying this, as you and I fellowship with God, and as it starts out that way, there will be a growing awareness, first of all, of a family, a family, and that God is our Father, you see and that God is the Father even to the fatherless. And even in 1 John 3, 1, John says, see what sort of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are. I mean, you can just hear John's passion and excitement about that as he says it. See, because our sins have been forgiven, we are now one of God's children, And that's one of the first things that we should become aware of truly and live with each and every day, that I wake up every day and you wake up as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, and that God is our Father, our loving, heavenly Father. And he looks out for us and he cares for us and he takes care. I mean, Jesus said this. To his own father, he says, why are you worrying? Why do you care about these things? Don't you know your father knows you have need of those things? Don't you know your father takes care of the birds and the animals and you are of much greater value to your father than that? See, it's the awareness that we have a heavenly father who loves us more than anyone else ever could and that we are one of God's children. Do you have that awareness today? That comes through fellowship. The more you and I fellowship with our Father, the more we realize our Father loves us. Jesus loves us. The Holy Spirit loves us. But we've got a Father who loves us too and that we become part of a family and that we have other brothers and sisters in Christ. And even Jesus said, you've lost your family because of me. Jesus said, I'll give you plenty of people to be in your family. Because to Jesus, it was always that The family that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than our earthly family. Now, I know that cuts against the grain for some of you because some of you, the end-all be-all to you has always been your physical earthly family, but that's never the case with Jesus. Even when they came to him and said, hey, your mother and your brothers and families outside, Jesus says, my family are those that do the will of my Father in heaven. That's my family. See, Jesus never put the physical earthly family above the spiritual family. So first of all, he says, there will be a growing awareness of family. Second, notice how he addresses young people. He says in verse 12, I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. And then in verse 14, I have Written to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The second thing we become aware of in our fellowship with God is our victory. Not just our family, our victory. Notice it's past tense. You have overcome the evil one. You are strong. You see, God is saying to us, and John, through, through the, his servant John, that when you and I live in intimate connection and contact with God, we will realize how strong we are, not in ourselves, but in Him. And that the victory has already been won, as I've shared with you before. As Christians, we never fight for victory. We fight from victory. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, that's what he meant. The deal is signed. The devil is defeated. Death is defeated. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We should be living in the victory that Jesus Christ has secured for us each and every day. And we should know that not only is the devil, but every other force in this universe cannot defeat us because we are children of the living God. And when you and I live in that fellowship with God, that becomes more and more real to us so that we don't live defeated, discouraged lives, but we live lives of overcoming and victory and being the conquerors that God said we should be in him. That comes through that fellowship. And then finally, he addresses fathers. I sort of consider myself at this age as the father. I'm past the young person, right? Right? But there's certain, there's certain precious things that comes with walking with God for all those years. Because I accepted Christ when I was very, very young. And so I've now walked with God for almost 50 years of my 57 years on this earth. And notice how he addresses fathers. He actually says the same thing to them in verse 12 and verse 14. He says, I'm writing to you in verse 12 that you fathers have known him who has been from the beginning. And then right back in verse 14, he says, I've written to you fathers that you have known him who has been from the beginning. Okay, so I've known him. Yeah, but John is saying, don't you get it? That that when you and I walk in fellowship with God, there's not just a growing awareness of family and of having a father and of our victory. There's a growing awareness of our stability. John says, don't you realize that the longer you walk with God, the more you have seen his hand in your life, the more you've seen him deliver and rescue you, the more you've seen him be so trustworthy and reliable and dependable that the more and more years that go by that we walk with God in this intimate connection, the more we realize he's got us He's got me. He's got this situation. I can rest in him. I can be totally stable. I don't have to be worried about anything. I don't have to be concerned about anything because I realize as the years go by that God is so faithful and that his word is so trustworthy and that there's nothing that's ever going to come into my life. There's nothing I'm ever going to face that me and God who've walked all these years together aren't going to be able to handle. And can I say, especially with what just happened this past weekend in California, in a physical way, that should cause us as Christians to think about that in a spiritual context. Because sometimes around us, the ground may seem very shaky. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And God is saying to all of us, When you learn to live in that intimate connection and communion with me and you live in fellowship with me and where your knowledge about me is not just knowing about me and knowing about me second and third hand from other people, but it's where you've walked with me all these days, of all these months, of all these years throughout your life, there will be such a stability that even when the ground is shaking underneath of us, we are totally stable in God. Isn't that what the psalmist David writes in Psalm 46 when he says, God is our strong refuge and our strength. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. And then David goes on to say, even if the mountains move, even if the oceans overflow, he says, God's got me because he's my refuge. I'm stable. And how could David say that? Because if you go back through David's life, David was pretty much all his life. There were a couple years he wasn't, but for the most part, David walked in intimate communion with God all these years. And as the longer he walked with God, the more he realized, there's nothing I'm ever going to face that God and me can't handle, that he won't give me the grace to deal with. I have absolute stability because he's my rock. And upon him, I'm building my life. And there's nothing that's ever going to come into my life that's going to rattle me or shake me even if the ground underneath me is rocking and rolling because I built my life on the rock of Jesus Christ. See, John is saying here, I, I want you to experience the fellowship with Jesus that I had while I was here on earth and while I continue to have it even though he's in heaven. It's not just about knowing him. It's about knowing him. I mean, knowing him. And Jesus invites all of us as his children to know him in that way. So that we can experience ecstatic joy, but also so that our life can be evidenced by A growing obedience, a growing love, especially for other Christians, and a growing awareness of certain things. Being more and more aware of my father and my family. Being more and more aware of my victory. And being more and more aware of my stability. I'll end with these words, but please hang in there with me. Jesus himself said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus defined eternal life as knowing God, not knowing about him, but truly knowing him in an experiential way. And then Paul. Paul said, my aim in this life is to know him. Philippians 3.10. And again, that knowledge isn't knowing about God. It's knowing him experientially through intimate connection and communion with him every day. Paul said, that's my aim in life. And then Paul actually, even before that, said, I count all things as liabilities that hinder me from knowing Jesus more. That was the priority of his life, knowing God more. He said, in fact, anything that gets in the way In my life of knowing God more, it's a liability. I'm I'm casting it aside. I'm getting rid of it. I'm throwing it away. I think to myself, could you imagine a world today filled with Christians like that? (laughs) Christians who said, my whole aim in life, my whole goal in life, my whole priority of my life is just to know you, God, more and more and more every day. How would that transform our world? How would that transform our churches? How would that even transform our own life? Could we stand and pray? Lord, I, I pray today for all of us, God, that the desire of our heart would be to know your heart more would be to enter in not just to a relationship with you, but fellowship with you. To make the goal and the priority and the aim of our life to know you above everything else. And not to gain this knowledge second and third hand from others who know you and are knowing you, but to gain it myself. Each and every day as I come into your presence as I walk with your Spirit, as I take you by the hand and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you today. I want to fellowship with you. I want to get closer to you, God. Because John is saying to all of us, there is nothing like being in fellowship with God. There's nothing like drawing near to God. And so, God, I pray today for all of us in this auditorium that it would truly be our heart's desire to draw closer to you, to be more intimate with you, to connect with you like we never have before, so so that, Lord, we can be reassured and so that we can see in our own lives this growing obedience and this growing love and this growing awareness of certain things in our life that will make the difference between truly experiencing life and just enduring life. God, would you do a work in your people this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.